Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Whenever there's lots to talk about, on a national level, I always like to go to our next guest, the former Premier of British Columbia, former Liberal Minister of Health, federally. I said to him if he'd run again, I'll fly to British Columbia and campaign for him. But he says no. Ujjal Dessange. Premier, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you make of 58% turnout? Well, I think um, this election really wasn't about very much, um, and that's why people didn't feel enthused. It wasn't about hope, it wasn't about change, it wasn't about punishing anybody. Um, so there was really nothing negative or positive that was exciting people to come out and vote. And uh, it shows that it was an unnecessary election. Yeah, you you posted a photograph on your Twitter feed that I really liked, election night, and you showed this pastoral setting of trees and, and, and beautiful scenery, and that's what you were looking at from your recliner. Was Was yeah. the message you were watching the trees and not the election? I was watching both, (laughs) but to be honest, uh, there wasn't much to watch um, in terms of the election results because they were coming out after the initial uh, bit of change uh, in the Atlantic. uh, Nothing much changed elsewhere. So um, I was paying equal attention to my backyard and uh, and to the television. You've got a very nice backyard, I have to say that. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. Premier, I want to come back to you on the election and where we are as Canadians and what this all means to us now structurally in this country because I do have great concerns that there are significant divisions and very significant divisions. We'll be talking to the former Premier of Saskatchewan, Brad Wall, later about that. But I'd like to ask you for this as well. You have a national governance perspective, so you have, I'm sure, a good idea of what was going on in this whole 1,020 days of incarceration in China for the two Michaels. We spoke last month on this program with Vina Najibullah, the wife of Michael Kovrig, and I'm so glad that they were reunited this morning. But what do you what do you think was going on? Why did it take so long? What's the problem with the dynamics and the relationship between Canada and China? Or was Canada really a victim of two big superpowers having at each other? I, I believe Canada was um, a victim caught between two powers. Um, um, but also caught because Canada is a law-abiding uh, country and we had uh, an extradition treaty and the government um, decided to honor the extradition treaty. Whether or not the charges originated in the United States were, um, um, uh, uh, you know, did they originate out of a real concern for a law being broken or was it was that a political maneuvering on the part of the United States? That's it. That's a different question. Uh, I'm I'm happy that uh, uh, the Michaels are home, um, but uh, I think Canada was uh, a victim. And from my perspective, uh, China has once again proven that it's an outlaw state in terms of international relations. It doesn't respect international agreements, doesn't respect international law. Uh, it doesn't even respect the fact that if you have an extradition treaty between two countries, uh, both countries are duty-bound to to um, 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 observe it. Yeah. There's, there's another case here, though, 
that is still ongoing that we should not drop the ball on or lose sight of, and that is about a constituent of British Columbia, Robert Schellenberger, who finds himself, I hope I have the name correctly, I think it's Robert Schellenberger, who finds himself in prison in China with a death sentence over his head. Um, and, and, and a recently imposed one. And a recently imposed one. And, uh, and, and in fact, the appeals court in China, if I remember correctly, uh, changed a life sentence to a death sentence just a couple of months ago. And from my perspective, uh, when I watched that, I knew uh, and thought that, that that was happening also in the service of the same cause that China was trying to achieve uh, by um, uh, holding and imprisoning the Michaels. Um, otherwise, I mean, you know, the I mean, courts in China aren't independent. We know that. I mean, they make decisions rather quickly, and the conviction rate is about 99%. Yeah, it is. I think uh, think in the appeals courts... Let's not deceive ourselves when we're dealing with China that we're dealing with a law-abiding state uh, that respects laws and that has any kind of democratic ethics within its own governance. So we we have to remain vigilant in the case of this this Canadian, Robert Schellenberger. Schellenberger, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll get his name. Correctly. Yes, Schellenberger. Schellenberger. Uh, we have to remember. We we have to remain vigilant, not just in his case, but generally in terms of our relationship with China. You can't run a relationship, an international relationship, vis-a-vis China, with closed eyes. Um, it, it, it's 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 a giant um, nation in terms of trading possibilities. Yeah. It's a powerful nation, but it's also dangerous. Because whatever it does is generally inimical to international standards that other democratic countries observe. Yeah. I have a sense that our prime minister is a bit of a fanboy for China. Well, I, he, unfortunately, he made some comments uh, before he became the prime minister that have come back to haunt him about him liking the system in China where they can ignore the wishes of his own population and get things done quickly. Uh, whereas democracy, obviously, is inconvenient. Uh, there's no question, but it's also the best form of government. Uh, I don't know whether he's a fanboy, but, but you know, he was caught. Um, any, any prime minister in his position would have been caught. What do you do in a situation where you are a country not as powerful as China, and you can't do to China what China was doing to us. No, I agree. He didn't. He did not have many options to get the two Michaels out of uh, of China. But I thought the Prime Minister was passive, certainly for the first part of their most of their time in in prison in China. I, and he's I, very I passive about he, China. Yeah. Well, I agree. He he could have spoken out more. He could have uh, been more public about it, uh, more vocal about it, and uh, and he wasn't. But perhaps he was he was concerned about the situation vis-a-vis the Michaels, um, because if he spoke out more, maybe their situation would be worse. Um, it, it, that's a very difficult question. One has to place oneself in his position to be able to really understand it. Uh, Premier, let me come back to the uh, to the whole issue of the election. How significant? Was I have to ask you this. How significant do you think to the entire electoral process are the leaders of the parties? Because each and every news story about the election 
contained the name of Justin Trudeau, the name of Aaron O'Toole, the name of Jagmeet Singh. Most certainly those three were always in the news stories. So they lead. It's almost as though their caucuses or their candidates are just in the baggage car. Well, I think it's also a function of how different um, leaders decide to run uh, an election campaign. I've noticed even in um, regions like British Columbia or Ontario, the local ministers weren't as prominent in running the campaign. I remember when I was running federally, um, we used to uh, have a prom- prominent role for one or two cabinet ministers um, in British Columbia, even in Ontario or in Quebec. Um, and this election campaign wasn't run uh, like that, and there were no... Um, second-in-command or third-in-command in in the province um, for any of the leaders. So it was a leader-centered campaign, a party-centered campaign. And I think if the leaders are vastly popular, then that can help. Um, But uh, if they aren't, then you need local support to shore the leader and the party up. And there was no local leadership at least not in British Columbia. I didn't see any in Toronto. Yeah. Um, Do you believe that internally, and I'm asking you based on your experience with political parties, do you believe that there's unrest under the surface in all three of the major parties, the Liberals because of Trudeau, the Conservatives because of uh, O'Toole, and and the NDP because of Singh? Oh, I'm sure there is. Uh, I'm sure there is. I mean, yeah, I've been reading the press, and there is evidence of that in the press, um, uh, in in the uh, in the conservative uh, case, uh, it's more outspoken. Uh, in the liberal case, it's more subdued. Um, and even in the NDP case, uh, uh, you know, you have uh, someone attacking the. Um, the national director or the campaign manager of the party rather than the leader. Um, and so I, I, there is unhappiness in all three camps. Um, regardless of the fact that Jigmeet Singh was quite popular, uh, but there is a certain opinion within the NDP that is saying, you know, TikToks don't win you the election. And the party ran a very leader-centered campaign, even in terms of um, the advertising. Uh, and so there is criticism. And with Trudeau, I mean, there is there is a, there is talk of um, the possibility that he may take a walk in the snow at some point and during this particular um, mandate. Um, uh, nobody is speaking openly, but they're all speaking anonymously to the various journalists. Yeah. So what does it take then, within a party, inside a political party, for a leader, even one who just won an election, although marginally with 20% of the of the eligible electorate voting for him, uh, what does it take for the internal mechanisms or the machinations of a political party to remove a leader? Well, if there is real discontent, and I mean, there's no evidence at this point, at least on the surface, that there's real discontent within the within the Liberal Party. Um, but there are opinions. There are lots of there are several people that probably feel that Mr. Trudeau does need to take a walk. Not now, but maybe in a couple of years, maybe in a year and a half, maybe after accomplishing some other things. Um, 
And if that begins to take hold, then people in the caucus, uh, the whispering begins, uh, you know, the, the conversations begin and they get to the prime minister's office and he hears about them and eventually has to make a decision whether to quell those conversations uh, or um, accept the fate. Okay, and I, I, I want to mention also your book, Journey After Midnight. It's a great read. It's a really great read, everybody. It was all Assange's book, Journey After Midnight. We have a minute left, Premier. So you were the former Minister of Health federally. 18 months of pandemic, a health care system under tremendous stress. We'll be talking to the president of the Canadian Medical Association in the next hour. Uh, how do you assess where we stand as far as health care is concerned? Well, it's shown uh, real uh, vulnerabilities, uh, obviously, um, previously even in Ontario uh, during the first or second wave and now in Alberta. And it it shows that we need uh, more uh, cooperation nationally across provinces and the provinces can't be islands unto themselves for health care. I know that goes against what Quebec wants. But at least for the rest of the country, we need to uh, make sure that uh, the provinces don't continue to be islands unto themselves. And the federal government plays a larger role in funding and perhaps even assisting the provinces. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.